Hello, Line Podcast listeners. Matt Gurney here for Jen Gerson. This is the latest episode of the Lines Experimental Podcast. We started off thinking we didn't have that much to talk about, and then wouldn't you know it, we got to talking. Covered a lot. We give you a quick, relatively speaking, update on guns, uh, an equally quick update on made, and we kind of lump both of those together under the topic of the liberals in retreat. One of those retreats was dignified. The other one was not. Uh, we also talk about Canada being broken. Uh, this is a talking point that Pierre Polyev and Justin Trudeau have been batting back and forth this week. Jen and I cast our votes. I don't think you'll be surprised by which way we lean. Also, Twitter. Is it breaking? All this and more in the latest episode of the Lions Experimental Podcast. Well, let the record show. Um, before I hit the big red button, I did offer Jen the chance to finish eating, and she was like, "Meh." Mm-mm. So, Jen, here's the thing. Uh huh. It happened midweek, I think. Mm-hmm. The news stopped, and it hasn't yep. stopped entirely. But something I'd commented uh, to you about, and I talked about it on my radio show, is that we were pretty late in the season for news to still be a lot. And then the I feel week... like December 15th is the day. We're recording this on December 16th, and that's, yeah. that's about right. Yeah, and... but, I, but I tend to think that's that's about the day that the news rolls down and people start, people start mailing it in. I think... like, like, collective case of fuck it all comes across everybody. And Yeah, I think that's probably true. Um, but I would say that what I think is different now is that there's no gentle slope down anymore. It's frantic activity, done. Everybody Mm. just gives up. Yeah. Whereas I think in years previous, it would have been kind of a a gradual slowdown. I kind of gave up two weeks ago. Well, the funny thing is you're actually feeling better now. Yeah, I'm actually not as sick as I have been in the last two weeks, but I, I definitely reached the point where I'm like, okay, this is just, I'm going to be sick forever now. Um, you know what? I, someone asked me the other day, it was like, I was like getting like a, a tea at like t- Tim's and I was like, how's your day going? And I just kind of looked at them. I'm like, I don't, I don't know. Is there any part of you that kind of t- wishes that you could just go back to a normal job? Like I'm going to get a job at Home Depot. I'm just going to do that. I'm going to make, you know, $15 an hour. I'm just going to hey. help customers. Well, well, my first job was national columnist. Um, My first job was barista. Yeah. Like, don't wrong. Like, like, that's not a, it's actually, it's a physically taxing job. It's not a fun job. But there's a part Um, of me now that's just like, you know, I just wish I could do, I could go back and be a barista for like six months. Here's my honest answer to that question every day, but I don't really mean it. Uh, Mm, Okay. What I do wonder about is the people who finish work because you never really finished our work mm-hmm. like like you're like there's never a time when we're done there's a time when we give up for the day <laughs> and but we know we're going to pick it right up tomorrow and i know a lot of jobs like that like i'm not saying journalists have it particularly hard i've wondered about the people who go to work complete a series of assigned tasks and then go home and there's nothing on their mind because they know when they'll go to work the next day there'll be a bunch of other assigned tasks mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. then they'll do those mm-hmm. but what i've learned about myself over the years And I considered, I think you know this, uh, about five, six years ago, I considered leaving journalism and I was exploring that a lot. And I had some interviews lined up with kind of the the, the kind of big companies that people like us would go and do and make a ton of money and have amazing work-life balance. And I, Which companies are are those? uh, Any of the comms or GR companies, like the big ones. Oh, it seems like they work a lot though. Yeah. It seems like they do earn a wage. Yeah, but I, I... talk to anyone who's gone from journalism to those firms and they're like wow i can't believe how easy oh, it is you you yeah you I, I i got a week to write a press release or something yeah. yeah um and there's also like staff and assistants and a corporate infrastructure left mm-hmm. what i what i've realized whenever i when when i was looking at those jobs or whenever i've thought about any other kind of life since i will never be happy if i don't feel the work i'm doing matters and I don't think I would be satisfied defining my life's worth as shareholder value. Yeah, but I mean, could you find value in working at a garden center and learning about all the plants and helping people no. plan beautiful gardens? No, there are other things I could do where I would find value, but not that. I don't know. I think 
I think maybe I should try it for three weeks just to remind myself how good I've got it. I don't know. Anyway, this is irrelevant. If I could, if I could work in like an advocacy role for a cause I believed in, I would find value in that. If I could do historical or archival or library work, I would find value in that. Because mm-hmm. that's actually not that dissimilar from the work we do. We create mm-hmm. the, the first draft. Um, but go to like one of the first jobs I had um, – so I was I was slightly joking before when I said my first job was national columnist, but not by much. Uh, one of the, one of the jobs I had right at a university was working for a marketing company, mm-hmm. and it was a great job, good pay, good benefits, nice people, great office, and I was bored to death every day because at the end of eight hours, all I would have done was slightly optimize the ability of a company I didn't own to sell more product. Like, and it's, if I owned the thing, maybe I could have been passionate about it, right? Today, I became slightly richer. It just wasn't for me. So hmm. I took I took a huge pay cut and have way worse hours to do this because I'm broken inside. Um, so on that, on that festive note, let me tell you and the listeners and the viewers what the plan is at the line. Okay. Um, we are not shutting down for the holidays exactly. Next week, we are running a special series of articles. It's the line's nice list. We are lauding five things, at least. There might some more may come in that we think are good news. Good news stories, uh, happy things, things to be grateful for. The line has been fairly accused of being kind of a, a curmudgeon grumpy place. The hell with you bastards. Next week, we're showing you the nice list, the stuff we're and happy about. I've also committed to writing something for the nice list, but and I can't, can't figure out what I can literally, like, like before we started the, 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 the podcast, you were like, okay, what do you want to write about? And I just gave you this blank stare for a solid five minutes and could not come up with anything. It was very intense. Now, that being said, I'm a little intense. You'll a, figure something and, out. and B, like, I'm not sparking, like, the, 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 the sparks aren't all going at 100% right now. I'm going to own that. Honestly, I have enough nice list stuff lined up for the start of next week. You have some time to figure that out. Mm. Uh, and then uh, then there will be Christmas uh, on the weekend. Not this weekend, but the next weekend. Obviously, we'll take that off. We will do a podcast and video. I don't know yet if we will do a dispatch uh, written one. I think, I think we'll do like a drunken Christmas video. We'll do something. We'll do something fun. Relaxed. Like we'll, we'll do like, a, like I'll make some mulled wine. I was going to do some uh, fondue for Christmas Eve my family like traditional fondue we would normally do a fondue on new year's on on christmas eve we do little finger food things like little appetizer Mm. things yeah something fun anyway um fun um and then after christmas the week between christmas and new year's the line is publishing it's naughty list that i'm gonna have a much easier time contributing to it's already full you missed a window on that one what i I have you assigned for the nice list all right fuck i should have moved faster all right bye the naughty list uh we think things we're pissed off about things that aren't working well and things we want fixed god damn it that's gonna air so we're doing the nice stuff in the lead up to christmas mm-hmm. and then kind of starting the, the day after boxing day everybody's in a good mood you've got the afterglow we're just going to repeatedly punch you in the face with bad news that's, and things we're angry about that's why you love us yeah that's what we do best at the line uh the week after that we're off that's where the the first yeah. few days of January we're just taking it off. So, yeah. uh, we we love you all, our our valued subscribers, listeners, and viewers. But we need a break, and that's going to be the week. And I think Jen, I think our kids are all out of school at the same time. Our so. kids are all out of school at the same okay. time, and I'm also going to be at that point two weeks behind on my next chapter. So I'm going to be effed. I was going to go up north and make a rink and maybe have a beer. Like that's my plan. Um, Okay, so that's um, the plan. The nice okay. list, and then the naughty list, and then naughty a week list, off. And then a week off. Okay, uh, what are we talking about for well, dispatch? Because we're struggling here. We're struggling a little bit this week. So what, what I think we're going to see is that this dispatch is going to have a lot of follow-ups on stories we've already been covering. I noticed something interesting this week. Mm-hmm. The liberals have now retreated on two major files near the end of the year. Now, one of the retreats is an official orderly well-executed retreat the liberals are backing off on the medical aid and dying expansion mm-hmm. they've said you know what we're going to slow this down we're going to take a look at this we're going to make sure we get it right i think that's good and i also think they listened they understood they're withdrawing you know well done golf clap good job liberals the other retreat they haven't officially acknowledged 
it's the gun stuff and Mm -hmm. they are that the committee has said it's not happening the liberals voted to continue but i think that was token i think they my understanding is that they knew they were going to lose and they felt comfortable pretending to be upset about it Mm -hmm. they're not touching this thing for a couple of months i don't think they're going to give up on it but at least for now the the gun thing is not going to happen for months jen i know this may rub some listeners and viewers the wrong way but can i just say the line has completely called every step of this this we have been completely accurate in our forecasts of how this was going to go so far first of all it was i don't think they know what they're doing and then it was they're starting to figure out what they're doing but they haven't real fully realized it yet and then it was okay they're going to realize it and they're going to find a way to get out of this ding 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 like we got it all so top points for the line what i would say on the issue of retreats is that it's an interesting study in contrast. And I don't want to overstate the case because they're as tired as we are right now. Like mm-hmm. everybody at this time of year is tired. Things get sloppy. But on Made, they just were like, eh, yeah, you know what? This isn't going our way. We're in over our heads. Let's back off and figure out a way to do this better. It was an orderly withdrawal. On guns, their pants fell down. They tripped over them and they landed face first in a table full of cream pies. Yakety sex. Yeah. And I've been reading this week. Um, I don't, I, I don't want to, uh, Campbell Clark, Globe and Mail. I don't know what his personal views are on, on the gun file. I honestly don't like, I've never talked to him guns, but he wrote a column and I thought it was his bang on where he said, you re- if you're the liberals, you really have to screw up to have it go this badly on a gun proposal. <laughs> and I, I pushed back just a tiny bit on Twitter respectfully, of course. But what I said to him is, Good article. I agree with the overall thesis, but I'm going to repeat what I've been telling you and everyone else here for weeks. I don't think the liberals actually had to work hard to screw this up. They just had to take that trip too many to the well. They've hit sludge. There's no water left in that well. And they needed about two or three weeks to figure that out. So, all right. Well, good job, guys. They're tired. Like, and I, I and they've been tired since June, but now it's the, the 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 sort of existential tired compounded with, I'm sure half of them are as sick as we are, and also yeah. it's going to be Christmas soon. Whatever, man. I think when we talk about the liberals being tired right now, we mean two different things. First of all, I, mean, I guess even we mean three different things. One of them, they're tired the same way you and I are tired. They need a break too. They need to go home. They need to see their families. They need to chill out. I get it. There's also, I think there's a degree of existential fatigue which mm-hmm. is that like they've been dealing with nothing but bullshit for three to well, I mean, even longer. If you want to include the Trump administration, these guys are burnt out. And I don't know if they know how burnt they, out they are, but they look burnt out. And that third is, I just think they've been it's just political fatigue. They've been in power for seven years. Like they look like a government that's been in power. Well, and they also, years. they don't have any other, there's no real cohesive agenda keeping this government together at this point right so that's that's and that's hard to deal with right it's it's because that means that all of your attacks are always going to be on the defensive all of your political moves are going to be defensive and i think that's why the i think that's why they did guns like guns is not we're going to go win new voters like like no guns was like we need we need we need some kind of uh prevailing direction or, or move here that will bring us back together and make us put us back in fighting form right like guns are hey 905 women we're still your guys it is guns for the liberals is is base mobilization it's not base expansion yeah and it didn't work no or at least it it well first of all i don't think it worked at all second of all i think it caused more problems than uh than it solved so that's interesting a tired government going back to one of its tried and true methods and it doesn't work one of the things i don't want i don't want to bog down in this but i will say this I'm starting to think we're going to have an election sooner than we think. And this is not a firm prediction yet because I'm not 100% sold on it. But the way the NDP has been acting the last couple of weeks, I wonder if they're getting, because we knew this would happen eventually. Mm -hmm. Are they getting to the point where it's just too embarrassing? Maybe, but again, the problem the NDP fundamentally has is who do you who do you run with, right? Like, like seeing as Peter Prince pulled himself into his current job, mm-hmm. he, he's not going to go. He, you know, he's not going to get better than he is now. 
he's not going to get more popular than he is now. Um, this is this is about where the NDP taps out. So if if they go to election, it's going to be the Liberals who call it, not the NDP. I think there's really no no bottom to the bucket of NDP shame. That's kind of my prevailing theory. I don't I don't think that they I don't think that they can get embarrassed. Oh, they can get embarrassed. I just don't know if they can do anything about being. Yeah, well, the, the, the two and a half one doesn't know the other is what I'm saying. Like, like you know, like I, I, I what what's going to be the thing that pushes them over the edge, really? I don't know, and you you could be right, but the fact that the in over the last couple of days, week or so, the NDP have even sort of been like mewling at the Liberals. I just thought was interesting. Did you see this week when uh, Jagmeet Singh in the House made a comment, you know, when I'm Prime Minister, we will, and everybody just laughed? Oh, no, I didn't see that. The, That's the, the sadness. The Speaker uh, had to, to, like, order, order, also hiding. Oh, people man, were just that's... laughing at, and it wasn't like, he wasn't being particularly verbose about it. Like, he was reading some statements, like, when I am Prime Minister, the NDP will, and then just laughter. And ouch one of one of my um one of my colleagues on my radio show this week based in ottawa he just said what he's observing is that there was a spirit of collegiality and cooperation between the liberals and the ndp at the beginning of the arrangement there's not anymore well i mean did, did did nobody tell them that they basically signed on for a coalition in which they didn't have a place at the cabinet seat at least two like, people I, did, you and me. Like I don't, I don't know what to tell you. Like I sold yourself too cheap. Cheap date. Cheap date. Yeah. Uh, yeah no, I'm, I'm with you. The thing, the thing that's honestly, I mean, adding to how pathetic this is, though, Jen. Maybe as cheap a date as they were, they couldn't get any better. That might have been the only invite out that that's, Friday they had. That's that's how I wound up with my husband. I, I've heard that story and that's not true. I'm defending his <laughs> dignity here. Um, I, I would say, see, I don't, and again, I'm not predicting there's an election because right now I could explain to you why each of the major parties has no interest in an election. Mm-hmm. But they just seem pissed off at each other in a way that makes me skeptical that this is going to work much longer. I, I would tend to agree. I, I, I tend to think that the, that, the, that the supply and confidence and management was always was never going to last the full term. I, I just didn't see that. But uh, I don't know. I just don't see any incentive for the NDP to pull the trigger. They can still half plausibly claim that they're at least making a difference. The liberals don't really want to risk anything at this point. And I don't know. I just don't underestimate the liberal willingness to coast. One of the interesting things about 2023 is going to be, you wrote a, a column in the summer, and I've, I've gone back and I've read it a few times, where you basically wrote, wrote the column, The Last Good Summer. Mm-hmm. And you said people will indulge in the summer, and then they're going to kind of deal with reality in the fall. Mm-hmm. I think that column is largely held up. I think you your assessment was accurate, and I think your prediction was true. But I also think the real consequence phase is landing next year. I think that that's right. I think that if anything, I was uh, too optimistic, no, too pessimistic about when things were going to go badly pear-shaped. I mean, they they did start to go pear-shaped. In, I think in they September. started. They started, but they, yeah. you know, you're right. It's going to be a slower, a slower decline out than, than a strong drop off the cliff. And I, which... But I think you're still right on the timing. But mm-hmm. I think you called accurately when the process began, as opposed mm-hmm. to when it would manifest. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think so that's right. one of the things I'm just curious about, and again, I'm not, I, it's not a prediction. I'm not equipped to make this prediction. But, it, you know, one guy, uh, one, one money guy I talked to basically said a lot of like interest rates were really low in 2018. And that was a really strong year in the housing market. And a lot of people got their mortgages in 2018, mm-hmm. 2019 as well. It's a five variable rate. Yeah. Five. So basically, and I mean, we're, I'm in that boat too. Like our, our mortgage rate starts to turn over in May. Okay. So. Oh, okay. So like, yeah. you know. So subscribe today. Line, subscribe line today, you know, or I may, you know, I'm maybe it's not a coincidence. I'm talking about taking a job at Home Depot. There you go. 
Yeah, maybe not. Um, maybe not. Um, but no, so, I mean, but yeah, that, I, I'm going to be that one. That pain's going to land la- next year. That, that pain's going to start to land next year. Uh, do we get inflation under control? Do food prices come under control? Or do we start to see sort of a, a, a sort of a slower, more systemic unraveling of some of our supply chain issues? So I'm reading uh, Peter Zahan, Zahan's new book about basically how. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm I, not on my list, but yes, I know what you mean. He's got some like writing takes that drive me nuts. And I think that anybody who's a historian or an academic would be driven nuts by some of his sort of um, top line glossing over of history. Fine. But I think generally speaking, he, his main thrust of the thrust of his thesis is like most of the Western world has gone over a demographic cliff and can't c- cannot recover financially or socially from the demographic decline. We are, we, you know, we've been witnessing population growth up until basically until 2019, 2020. And now we're about to go into a dramatic population collapse over the next several generations. That starts now and it's too late to fix it. We can't, we don't have enough young people breeding in most developed countries, much less even, even undeveloped countries, by the way, like even in really places- creepy the way you said that young people, breeding, young people procreating, breeding, making breeding, new humans, breeding new humans, new life. Um, but no, there's just, there's just not mathematically we can't make the numbers work anymore so we're going to be moving into a a place of dramatic population decline that's going to last generations and there's going to be very significant um geopolitical and economic consequences as a result of that and they're scary they're really bad we've never dealt with anything like this as a human species on this scale before so and all you um, young people need to do is stop it is breed no but i mean even even if even if all the young people continued to breed now it it, it it we can't stop the collapse the only there are only a couple of countries that have managed to keep their birth rates up high enough to prevent what's coming the u.s being one of them so we're going to be relatively sheltered by that france is another one which is interesting um also, it's it's interesting to look at um, uh, how Canada is like, hey, we're going to dramatically increase our immigration targets. We're not. We're not going to be able to draw that many people into Canada. And even if we did, we wouldn't be able to replace the number of workers we're losing just to age. So, and yeah. if even if we could meet the targets, where are we going to house these people? Because we uh-huh. don't have enough people to build the houses we would need to house them affordably. Like, you know what I mean? Like, and not only that, but this, we're, we're going to be drawing all these people in with these high immigration targets at the exact same time that there's a massive demographic, demographic collapse happening across most of the world. So I think even be, African demographics. Have yes, been. even African demographics yeah. are collapsing. So, you know, good luck competing with every other nation for immigrants, because now we're going to be competing at a whole different level for immigration. And they're just the people aren't going to be there. They're just not going to be there anymore. So we're fucked. It's going to be fun. Anyway, anyway. I'm going to need you to come up with a nice list uh, by Monday, please. Um, okay. I don't, you know, this isn't on our list, but you, the conversation has naturally brought us here. So at some liberal event this week, I don't know what it was exactly, some annual shindig, um, the, the prime minister, I, I watched a bit of the speech. I forget what the official event was, but he was talking to liberals. And he was talking about uh, taking some uh, shots at Pierre Polyev saying Canada's not broken. And I, I just thought it's interesting uh, a, a little bit regarding our conversation of a minute or two ago, whether or not we'll see an election this year. The campaign seems to be shaping up between Canada's broken and no and ain't. And the, the, the king who has to say that he's a king is no true king. That's what I have getting, to say to that. Getting poetic on me. But what I would just say is it will be interesting that kind of campaign would be interesting because you know that there's a ton of baby boomers who love everything trudeau does and get really fussy at the notion that canada's broken and then you got a lot of other people in this country who are like why in the flying fuck can i not find pediatric Tylenol? where why are the hospitals not working and people are like oh it's the premiers get angry at the premiers like I, the average voter does not work that way the average voter knows that things suck and they're angry. Well, and also the, the the problem with the oh look at the premier's problem. Um, it's it's not taking a bird's eye enough. It, this isn't just Canada, right? Like, it's every province is going through many of the same issues. Many of the Western countries are going through the same issues. We're huffing the fumes of the golden age. 
and we don't know how much longer like we're at the we're at the empty and we don't know how many more kilometers the, the car is going to go on empty before we totally run out of gas we may have another two three generations to figure our shit out like like you know like like our golden age was really good we're really prosperous we might be fine you know i use the word fine carefully now but um we are heading for like long-term systemic change and it's not just canada and it's not just the federal government it's not just the provinces it's 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 at every level and jurisdiction of of what we've come to take for granted as a quality of life problem so you know it's so what you're supply telling chains me are that, continue to be weird you know like I, our expectations are a problem our expectations are a problem they're go- there's going to be change it's not all and also like you and i are not declinists in the sense that we think that we're heading for some kind of civilizational walking dead level collapse that's not the argument it just means over time we'll be poor pe- we're just going to be gradually poor our quality of life is going to be gradually shittier the types of goods that we can buy is going to become less varied. Quality is going to just go down a little bit. Like, you know, if you were to tell me that in 20, 30 years, I was living a life that looked a lot like my mom's or my grandma's, I'd be like, yep, that sounds about right. My mom and my grandma still had a pretty good time of it by any human historic standard. But they ain't living the 90s. You know what I mean? Like, they're not living... In a space, in a in a time in a space where you could just go to Walmart, pick anything you want up for relatively cheap, because money and credit is nothing, and you know we're amply supplied by labor that's made by cheap labor overseas because transport costs are basically non-existent. They're cheap. So anyway, Zihan is clearly making me more optimistic. Um, but anyway, so I mean, like, like it's not that Canada's broken; it's that the world order that we've come to take for granted is fundamentally shifting and changing. And who is responsive responsive to that reality? I think Canada's broken. Oh, okay. That's I don't, another. Case. I don't think it's broken in the sense of um, of a broken federation. Although I think we will have national unity problems as some of the anger manifests itself. I just mean Canada's broken in the sense that show me a level of our government that's working well. Like all those things you just said, lay, lay out all those problems, all those challenges. Who in this country is the guy you're, or, or hey, the girl? Let's be, let's be inclusive here. Who do you look to and go, and that's who we turn to? So I asked another question. I was on another podcast earlier this week, a Navigator podcast. And there's something that I, I said in the middle of my uh, half delirious pneumonia ramble. And the more I said, that once I said it, I was like, hey, wait a minute. I'm, I'm onto something there. In my lifetime, what have we built in this country? um do you how literally do you mean built i mean like uh, quite literally like like what what if we what what major national projects social projects cultural projects See, literal physical social infrastructure, projects like what what have we actually built in my lifetime <clears throat> okay so what are the big the big the big headline issues in my lifetime are like like the truth and reconciliation commission well that was an important thing that we needed to do, but I would hardly describe that as building anything. You know, like... You dismantled the gun registry and the wheat board. <sighs> and probably are better off for it in both cases. Have we have we, have we, we built a major transnational upgrade to our railway system? Are our yeah. highways better? They are is our health care no, dramatically at, um, better? Have you heard of HFR, high-frequency rail? Yeah, that- oh, they're looking at... I was talking about... VOAware rail is now talking about... Um, uh, yeah, doing some kind of high frequency rail, but like everyone knows that's never going to happen. Well, you know what? In a weird way, it might actually because it's not high speed rail. Um, this oh, is okay. I don't I don't want to go train nerd on you here. All right, um, no high speed rail is a joke. I know that high speed rail is not going to like we just don't have the population yeah. density to sustain it. Like it's just we just don't. So what high frequency rail is in theory is that all the main lines that link the major cities sort of in the uh, Laurentian corridor, Quebec City right through to Windsor by Detroit, all those tracks are shared with freight. Mm -hmm. So high-frequency rail would be some new track, some uh, recommissioning uh, old tracks that would connect Toronto to Ottawa, I think, maybe to Montreal, along other rail corridors where there would be no freight delays. So it would not be high speed rail, but it would be the idea is it would be somewhat faster 
and way more reliable. Great. And so basically another SNC boondoggle is what, what we are signing up for here. Possibly. But I also think that's maybe, maybe that is an interesting way of looking at part of what we're saying from another angle. Toronto right now, and Toronto I'm sure we'll find lots of ways to screw this up, but we are actually beginning, it looks like, a major transit build-out after not building anything since the 1980s, basically, with some with some fairly small exceptions. Yeah, I mean, I'm not saying um, there, there, there have been small municipal projects no, no, I'm across the country. With you. Yeah, I'm, I'm agreeing saying. with yes, you. Yeah. I think the reason we're talking about something like high-frequency rail now, why we're talking about the Ontario line, the Eglinton Crosstown, uh, the Scarborough, all these things, is because we've coasted probably about as far as we can. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like, we're all kind of realizing now, whoa, <laughs> we well, better start building and, and, like, stuff and, and, and calgary's building a green line and like you know i'm like i said there's 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 isolated the I'm not saying, Montreal, yeah. when i say like and then there's the ottawa uh municipal transit system where which has been a disaster but i mean you know how basically i just said well we haven't really built it we're now talking such small potatoes oh, yeah. slow yeah, yeah. ambition okay we're gonna our, our big generational project in my lifetime is that we're gonna build an extension to a to an existing transit system yeah like that's 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 the level where our ambitions are at now like pipelines are not going to get built the keystone xl got canceled because of issues tmx it hasn't been purchased by a private operator it's a bit of a fucking mess and it was a pipeline that was built 60 years ago that's now been repurchased so and and we're just twinning like you know what i mean like like yeah these are these are not ambitious national projects. These are not ambitious national overhauls that are going to make dramatic differences. I, w- I would say like a, a high frequency rail between Montreal, Toronto and on Ottawa would be an exception to that. That would be a really great example of a generational build. I have no faith it's going to happen. And if it Probably does you. happen, I've got no faith that it's not going to be just an absolute catastrophic boondoggle. We haven't built a new port. You know what I mean? Like we haven't built we haven't built any infrastructure really to sort of take advantage of uh, shifting climate change and realities in the Arctic. Our our, our military's class, we haven't had a build out of our military. We still can't procure basic stuff for our military. Like you know what I mean? Like like go down the list and like every single thing is either tiny, tiny, tiny ambitions that are 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 huge amounts of bureaucratic and financial investments for increasingly small small and incremental improvements or it's been declined it's been straight up like we don't have boats for the coast guard anymore you know what i mean like like that's that's been the history that i'm 38 years old and that's been my history of canada there is no there was no there has been no transatlantic um railroad there has been no uh avro aero there has been no you know major build out of a major canadian national project of any kind cultural or otherwise i'm not saying infrastructure like there's been no massive investment in in something cultural or sociologically important. Like, there's just nothing but a slow chipping away at this shared national identity, followed by a concurrent decline of infrastructure and think, and in in, in um, shrinking of, of national ambition. I think you're right in the big picture, and I think you're going to get nitpicked to death in the small picture. I'm I, sure that I will. Yeah. yeah. Like, and as like I said, like, and and so the nitpickers, I, I'm sure you will be able to find. But I mean, we like Kevin Milligan. We ran that piece from Kevin I was, Milligan. I was about to mention Kevin Milligan. Yeah, he's like, he well, we have, we're going to raise all these things. But like, as people have pointed out, when we ran the Kevin Milligan rebuttal, none of the things that he's talked about have been actually built. Have, have sorry, the national built. Yeah. None of the things he talked about in that piece have actually been built. I think, or if they have their, I don't remember the exact specifics of the piece, but I think my criticism of it was more: these are British Columbian projects, like yeah, these are some we, British Columbian or hypothetical still British Columbian projects. So, like one of the things that uh, jumped into mind, and first of all, I agree with you in the big picture sense. Like, I very, very, very much agree with you in the big picture sense. You want to know what a small counterexample is, though? Sure. Yeah. Totally. Own the podium. Really, like. Talk about the 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 I know death by small no, ambition. I know it's small, but what I remember, uh, so you at the you when own the podium happened ahead of the two thousand uh, the twenty ten Vancouver Olympic Games, you were at the post then, but I don't think you'd been assigned to our section yet. No, and I remember one of our Ed Board meetings, and I guess you weren't on it yet. Uh, Chris Selly, who was on the Ed Board with me at the time, he made this point once, which is that. It is a very, very small ambition, and it will be controversial even so. And 
that like there really was some unease with the idea that we as Canadians were going to say we're going to deliberately compete to win. And I think so even though I'm offering this as a small counterexample, I think the criticism of it actually speaks to your broader point. I think what I mean, look, my I think your thesis is generally bang on. We built like hell after the Second World War Mm -hmm. and then we stopped. And so, you know, I'm thinking like, again, I'm thinking of areas people would push back on you here. A social infrastructure project. I don't know if Alberta has this, but certainly in Ontario, you know, you'd have people going early childhood education. That's something we decided to create and that will derive benefits from. Quebec would probably say the daycare program. I don't recall when that came out. I think it was the 1990s. I don't know the maritime, uh, the Atlantic well enough to say. I know they've had some energy projects out there. Some have gone well. Some have gone badly. And we've had energy projects here in Alberta. Some of it, but yeah. I mean, like even, but even, but even the major sort of social projects like daycare or dental care are so caveated, or they wind up just being like some federal government is going to throw throw out throw out some money to subsidize some X Y Z programs. Like they're not. Yeah. This ain't national health care here in terms of uh, ambition and scale and scope. Deliverology. Right? And like, I also don't, and, and, also, and I also bluntly, like, I, I don't necessarily think that the answer is in some new national welfare state program. Like, mm-hmm. like, like what most of our existing state programs are struggling as it is. Like, let's, let's fundamentally overhaul healthcare, make, do that successfully. You know, even our constitutional talks mm-hmm. since 1982, Nietzsche, Lake, and Charlatan, like those, those are kind of in my living memory, but like, you know, they, they failed. You know, so like this is this is not giving me a sense of a picture of a overall. Is, I, I don't have the sense of a picture of, of a Canada that is. Oh, or you could look at Waterloo, for example, the rise and fall of BlackBerry, for example, which mm-hmm. has been marked mostly as a fall for the last generation. You don't look at Canada and say this is or <laughs> military alliances and the fact that we're getting kicked out of them essentially. We're just not being invited to join the. Yeah, we're just not being invited to join anymore because we've got nothing to offer. You know, you don't look at Canada right now over the last 20, 30 years. So basically my living lifetime and think, wow, this is a really ambitious country that's thinking big about what what it wants to be and what role it wants to play in the world. Like, like, There's no overarching vision here. There are certainly some exceptions to the rule. There are certainly some provinces that have done some cool stuff. Like I'm not, I'm not trying to minimize that. I'm saying as a nation, I'm not, I'm not seeing it. I'm not seeing the the the, the big picture vision anymore, and and I think that that is alarming to me. I am alarmed. Remember in the summer when you had visited Toronto and you kind of noticed that it was looking dumpy, and I told yeah. you that the fundamental problem with Toronto today is that it has outgrown itself. Um, yeah. it, it is too dense and too big to function using the same style of governance it did uh, in generations ago. There might be a national version of that, like we yeah. might we might just basically need to blow out a lot of deadweight leaders and replace them with interesting people better suited to the times. I I don't know though. Um, And this is why I worry. And this is why, as you and I have very openly said in these conversations. And so something I'm struggling to articulate, which is why the nitpickers are going to come after me because it's like, it's a, it's an intuition that I'm struggling to try and put into words about what's missing here. But it was almost like there was a really great piece in the walrus about uh, this week, about last week about the great Canadian baking show. Okay. And how the Great Canadian Baking Show, even though it's proved to be popular, is a bit of a disaster. And part of it has nothing to do somebody's fault. It's just like the the, the concept of a national identity has been reduced to kitsch. <laughs> so there isn't so there isn't there isn't a, a an actual rooted culture of baking here because there isn't a rooted culture of anything. Like we we've reduced ourselves to Timmy's and maple syrup, which is ironic becoming from the West because we only recently got Timmy's and frankly we don't grow maple syrup. You know what I mean? When did you guys get Timmy's? Oh man, I, d- I didn't have my first Timmy's till I was in high school. Are you kidding me? Timmy's was not an institution in BC where I was from until like late 90s, early 2000s. Like that was not a thing. We need a Timmy's historian. Um, I like, agree. I, I distinctly remember I was like grade 11 when our area got its first Tim Hortons and that was a big deal. I have a I have a very funny memory of one of my friends. We were kids, and I, I wasn't there, but he told me the story about uh, we were on the same hockey team, and his dad was like, "Come on, we're gonna be late. Let's go. We're gonna be late for the game. Come on!" 
throws the equipment in the car, throws the kid in the car, buckles him in, roaring down the road. We're going to be late. We're going to be late. And then just casually pulls into Tim's, like going to grab a coffee. Um, I remember, I remember seeing if my mom wanted to like pawn me off with some donuts before, uh, before daycare, we went to Robbie's donuts, Robbie's donuts in Coquitlam. Was that like, was Robbie a guy? I have no idea. Oh, it was like, it was a chain? Is this like, like a no, it wasn't, no, it wasn't it? a chain. It was just like, it was, it was the local donut shop and it was located half an hour from where we lived. And we stopped there on the way to daycare and I'd got, to, I'd get two donuts from Robbie's donuts. It's not really that. And there was no, and there was no drive-in either, man. You had to like park the car and go in, but the donuts were great because of course they were homemade. But That's anyway, um, this is yeah. completely off the topic from where we were going to go here. Look, I, I, I knocked us onto this by saying, I think Canada's broken. I don't think we have the ability to do big things. And I was talking with one friend of mine a few days ago, um, former political uh, Politico now, who was basically saying this healthcare situation is just fucking nightmarish and was asking, uh, will there be like, who will come up with the big plan to fix it? I just laughed. I'm like, nobody. First of all, gonna no one's going to come up with a big it. plan. Even if they did, no one would have any faith that it would work. And third, even if they tried, it would fail. So I've been very blunt with people, uh, increasingly blunt. Like, I don't go out of my way to say this to people, but my assessment on things is that we're in deep trouble. We have minimal state capacity. The world is getting tougher. My conclusion is that the only way I can be prepared for this is to accumulate personal wealth. And I, I'm not saying this out of any particular greed, because I, I think I mentioned this to you before. If my life had gone differently, I would have been very happy to remain a three times a week columnist at the National Post for my entire life, just being like, hey, here's what I think about what happened today. Collect my paycheck and thank you. My ambition is not linked to any particular desire to accumulate material stuff. I want to have money because money is power and power is safety. And this is not... This is me looking around at the state of things and going, we're not ready for the changing geopolitical order. We're not ready for the changing uh, climate. We're not ready for uh, the, the demographic changes that are coming. We're not ready for any of these things. There's going to be a hiving off of segments of, of the of society, you know, the prosperous, the poor, and a, and a slimming middle class. I want to make sure I'm on the right side of that. And... I, I then want to make sure my kids are on the right side of that here. If I had solutions to the big systemic problems, I would be offering them. And if you actually, and to any listener or reader um, or viewer right now who's seeing this, just look through my line column archive and tell me you do not see this through line here. The medic thing that I've been writing about for years is that we are unprepared and we are slow in the face of crisis. Why do people think I'm writing about this? Like that is, and and we can also make this note while noting that we're still better off than most of the world on all of these fronts. You, if you, you we said before, like your standard of living may retreat to your yeah. your mothers or your grandmothers. If you knock twenty percent off the average Canadian standard of living, we're still living very well. Yeah, um, we're not starving at that. Most of us aren't starving at that level. No, and by historic global human standards, we would still be living a prosperous, material, well-to-do life. Yeah. What we will not be doing, and this is one of the things I do find interesting, I, our healthcare system it has functionally collapsed. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I don't. It was, and I, no one, no one's going to address that until we start to see people die on mass. Unless they all die at once and in one place, and a photographer yeah, happens to be there, yeah. we won't, we won't acknowledge it even then. Yeah. So. I thought a really interesting question that was asked on Twitter a few days ago by, I believe it was Dr. Brian Goldman, um, who's a regular guest on my radio show. He's a really, really smart guy. He's an emergency room physician downtown. He just put out the question is, to you, what does collapse look like, of, meaning mm-hmm. the healthcare system? Mm-hmm. And I thought it was a really interesting question because nobody could even agree. And no, it wasn't like a, I remember back in back in COVID when they were like the Alberta healthcare system is going to collapse. They were talking like, oh, we're going to have to in, in, impose some triage protocols. And you went and you looked at the triage protocols and were like, these are eminently reasonable triage pro- protocols. That wasn't a healthcare system collapse. That was a temporary resource reallocation as a result of a, a, a strained um, a ICU unit. Like, 
and this is why I know this this language is so imprecise. Yeah. Right. So yep. anyway, okay. So Canada right. is broken. Sounds like it needs to be its own blurb. Canada is broken. No, you're you're wrong, Mr. Prime Minister. Canada is broken. Okay, that sort of seems like a key argument. I will write that one, but you need to get me a goddamn nice list. Okay. So the other thing, I mean, do we even? I mean, how much more do we want to talk? We kind of. I mean, we've 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 gone on. We 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 went off. I mean, the only two other things on my list were a Twitter, b the marrying ethics uh, stuff, and Smith said something stupid. Those were the other things on our list. Uh, the hell with Smith said something stupid. Smith like Smith, yeah. Smith okay. saying we'll something just, we'll stupid. Just, we'll just add it to the list. Yeah. And for a future reference. So we'll what she I don't up. even I don't remember the exact quote of what she said, but she basically said something like Alberta's being treated by the feds the way the feds treat indigenous people. And I told you, as an editor of many years, I have a very simple rule. The only thing I compare the Holocaust to is the Holocaust. Yeah. And if it's not the Third Reich's annihilation of its racial and ethnic enemies, don't compare it to the Holocaust. Yeah. Um, I think there needs to be some Danielle Smith rule of political discourse. Let's, let's is... wait for her to say a couple more stupid things. Because I think we actually are, are, are we, we, we came into this uh, dispatch thinking, well, what are we going to write about? And I think we're coming out with more than we thought. So let's just let's just put a pin in that. Okay. But this is I, I want to mention one thing to you because I'm going to ask you to watch for this. You've correctly identified this already. Months ago, you said the problem with Smith is that she has spent so long in the small towns, in the in the church basements, talking to the people who agree with her, that she does not have the ability to know when she's saying something really stupid. And I've seen this in so many other facets of life. The mm-hmm. things that all the people around you agree with, you are shocked to discover that other people don't agree with them. And I think... Keep an eye open on that because I think Smith's going to keep running into them. Other things on the list, Mary Ing, uh, how the hell is she? International Trade Minister. She's yeah, not one, she, of, she, not she one of the been, leading lights. Th- I mean, this is this is she. She got slapped on the wrist because essentially she gave a media training uh, a contract Fernando to Alvaro. Alvaro, who's like every so plugged into to liberal land. Anyway, um, Amanda was her good friend. Big surprise, surprise. I mean. I don't think this ranks as the top 10 liberal ethics scandals. If I were going to be slightly contrary, I'd be like, these people are over media trained as it is. Um, I, li- obviously, I, I like that. I, I, I think that's it. Like, what, why, are, why are any of you spending any more money on media training at this point? Like, like you do not need to do that. The You've already lost the is, ability to speak as a human being. Yeah. Media training is only going to break you more. You know? That's it. Um, that you know, so I, I, it, above and beyond the conflict issues, which I mean, obviously, I think she was well intentioned, but obviously, just it's such an obvious. Don't, don't give contracts don't, to your don't friends. Give contracts to your fucking friends, like. Ta-da. Duh, but I don't think, but I don't think she was ill intentioned, and I don't think Amanda Alvaro is is a poor choice. And if she had recused herself, it's very possible that the contract still would have gone to her. But like, what? Stop media training. Just stop it. Be human being. Be decent. Um, Twitter. Do we even want to talk about Twitter? Well, okay, so for, Twitter's for, been such a yes, story. but let me just say on the Mary Ng thing, that's okay. a natural follow to government exhaustion. Okay. Yeah. So, oh, yeah, totally. So uh, I will write uh, government retreating. Everybody's exhausted. Then we go to Mary Ng. Then we do Canada is broken. And then we come to what? I think Canada broken is, is our top line on this one. I think it's our top line. It's the actual news. I could I could conceive of made and gun retreats leading to Canada's broken, but I could also write it the other way. Yeah, I think you should write it the other way because I think that bluntly we've already written a lot on made and gun retreats. Like we've written a lot on guns. In fact, I'm going to say please do not write more than like two hundred words on guns. Like that should be the hell with you. Buck, you have you have eaten the dispatches with your guns. Guns are one of the hardest things to write about. They are, but all yeah. we need to note here is the retreat. Is the retreat. Yep. That's all okay. we need to write here. You know what I mean? And I, right. we could even we could even peel both of those things into Canada's broken if we needed to. But I think the top line here is actually Canada's broken, not the retreat. 
Yeah, I can do it that way. Yeah, like okay. I'm, I'm thinking aloud here, but yes, I can do yeah, that. Yeah, that's fine. But that's, that's so Canada is broken. Guns made retreats. Mary Ng. Mary um, Ng, and then do I mean the Twitter files have been all I, then chatter. I think, yeah, then what? Then what you're talking about? But when you say you want to talk about Twitter, I'm not really closely following the Twitter files. I've kind of glanced at it. It's it's very American, and like yeah. there's a lot of people who are already talking about it. I find that some of the discourse around the Twitter files, where people are just like. Barry Weiss and Matt Taibbi are carrying water for Elon Musk. I find that very juvenile, especially from journalists. Every source that gives you confidential information has an agenda. Like, everyone that you will ever deal with in your life has some kind of an agenda. Does Elon Musk have an agenda in giving Barry Weiss and Taibbi the files? Of course he does. Moving on, that doesn't mean that they're not newsworthy, Right. So like there's there was some interesting stuff to come out of the American side of the of of the Twitter files. It wasn't it wasn't that interesting, and it yeah. was certainly it certainly wasn't interesting if you are not on Twitter, if you're not a deeply addicted to Twitter, which of course the entire media class is. So I found that the the confirmation that shadow banning was happening was like a bit of a, a what she says like it was a moment of yeah okay we all knew that but it was nice to have that confirmed. But then, you know, I think Elon Musk has absolutely shat the bed this week. He starts banning um, uh, journalists who cover him critically on the grounds that apparently uh, Twitter has a very strict no-doxing policy, which very conveniently includes any information about where his jet is, um, where is Elon Musk's jet, and the, some dudes following where his private jet is going to has been a subject of, of uh, uh, numerous media coverage at this point. So fairly prominent journalists and critics of Musk and Twitter have been banned from Twitter. And I mean, this completely undermines any kind of free speech credibility that Elon Musk claimed to have had. He's behaving in exactly the way that, that all of his him. critics would have claimed he was behaving. And he's proving that his 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 value for these or the, his, his commitment to these values is tribal and disingenuous. So that's completely unacceptable. And 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 I think it's really, really disappointing. And to be honest with you, I think it's also um you know, I, I've always been kind of made fun of the people who are like, I'm going to quit Twitter over this and blah, 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 blah. But I think you and I both are kind of like, you know what? I'm not working for this asshole. I'm not I, working for this. You know what? I didn't make a big showy statement about this because I'm with you. It's annoying when people do, but I've deleted the app from my phone. Mm-hmm. I can still access it via my uh, my computer. And I will still do that because I still find some value in, in sharing stories in sure. uh, private messages. Things like that. Uh, But no, um, my Twitter for me has always been a very mixed bag. It's been some real advantages and some real disadvantages. But up until very recently, the advantages have always outweighed the disadvantages. But there have been times when I've just got tired of it and I've taken a break. I think the, the gap between advantages and disadvantages is really narrowed. And as of this week, I think it crossed over where I dislike it more than I like it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not. I'm not doing a big showy quit. I'm not because I think that's a, a juvenile, and I still think me, you, the line, we derive benefit from this from Twitter, mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. I, and I'm, I'm not going to be uh, a, a schmuck and, and deny that. Uh, but it's just not a place I choose to hang out. And... You no, know, and I, like I, I, for the most part, massively cut back my Twitter on Twitter use a couple of months ago now. I mean, occasionally I still get into some it. trouble, and I'm better for it, and I'm healthier for it, and bluntly. I'm still on there to go post a story, but I'm trying to be much better moderated in terms of where the ROI is on this one for me. So- I want to actually respond to something else about uh, about it that you said, though, because you, okay. you talked a little bit earlier about um, uh, Matt, uh, Ta- I don't know how to pronounce his name, T- Taibu, 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 whatever, Taibu, whatever, and uh, Barry Weiss. I don't have, like, th- these are very polarizing figures to whom I have no opinion about. I just, I don't care. I'm not so plugged into the American discourse that I have formed opinions on these people. But what I will say, and I'm going to push back a little bit about what you were saying. I think some of the criticism is warranted because you had said, Mm -hmm. hey, people leak and all the time. Yeah, but they don't leak their stuff to me. They leak someone else's stuff to me. Hey, Matt, go check out what this asshole did. What, What Musk is doing is airing his dirty laundry He's airing Twitter's dirty laundry. The pre Musk Twitter. He bought it. He spent. He bought. He bought that dirty dollars. laundry, and now he's airing it. But again, I, I don't the, think that that's inconsistent with a, what a lot of people do. I've had stories. This is when the royal like, family plants stories. 
which is the friendly paper to go with because yeah, cousin I'd agree with that. whatever was doing the maid what's the friendliest newspaper to bring that to i don't think it's unfair to be critical of both the institution and the journalist who trades access for laundering it yeah but um at the same time like like i said most serious leaks you know from whistleblowers or from whatever else are coming from internal people who have agendas so oh, yeah. I, yeah yeah i i i don't you know, know. like Maybe this I'm is this precious. is this is not this is not this is the, the media can sometimes be a dirty game this is what it is so like like you have to assess the leak on the merits of the leak now the interesting thing is that a lot of the stuff that's been leaked so far isn't that interesting no it's um, kind of mostly boring Mostly it's been pretty boring. There's been a couple of interesting things. It's mostly been pretty boring, but like labeling it all, you know, if I were, if I were in Barry Weiss's or or Taibbi's position, I would probably be a bit more discerning in terms of what I chose to publish and how I presented it. Well, do you think they were chosen for a lack of discernment? Maybe. I think they were more chosen for a lot of different reasons. Most mostly ideological sort of uh, a commitment to a certain types of type of, of viewpoint and journalism. Which and I will give and I will give discernment. Sure, and I will give Barry cre- Barry credit. She's criticized Musk for you know banning journalists, um, and she's criticized her. And Musk's taken shots back at her. And a lot of people are like, "Ha ha, Barry Weiss is turning now, and Musk is turning on her." And I'm like. No, Barry Weiss is being very consistent in her ideological positions and 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 positions here. That the the world isn't divided between black hats and white hats, you know. And and you're a good guy or you're a bad guy if if you are actually committed to a set of principles and values. Like it's it's just there, there's nothing inconsistent about taking a, a story from a person and then criticizing them the next day. That's just that's just what journalists ought to be doing. But too few people agree with that position anymore, and they see the world in in, in highly polarized, highly tribal terms, right? But anyway, um, I, I will be interested in this blur. But I would just say, keep the royal family comparison in your in your head, because yeah, I, like I said, I don't really want to talk about the Twitter files. I more want to talk about just like like it's fucked up for 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 Elon to be banning these journalists. It, it's obviously deeply fucked up. And it, and it completely undermines the values that he claims to espouse. You remember a while ago when I told you I would never want true power and I am suspicious of anyone who does? That's why we're journalists. Yeah. Our job is an accountability function, not its self-power. And I mean, obviously, we need to be powerful enough to do the job. No, need... Journalists who seek power are the worst journalists. They're assholes. Um, yeah. Almost without exception. See, now I'm awkwardly wondering if we just burned any of our friends, but no, I, I think you're going to get, you're going to get yelled at on Twitter for saying that. Um, Don't make me get yelled at on Twitter again. I think um, I've broken the addiction and we're very proud of you. Thank you. I want my token. I think um, when it comes to power, I know this is a statement of blindingly obvious, but power corrupts Mm -hmm. and Musk now has a lot of power in a way that he did not before. Before he had wealth. Now he has power. He has cultural influence and power. And he was in the rare position to literally be able to purchase it. And he got a lot of other people to sign up for it. Got a lot of lenders who helped him buy this platform, which gives him disproportionate power over the social discourse. And he's using it. Because as Elon Musk six months ago probably would have been smart enough to know, power corrupts. But he drank it. He drank the bitter fruit, the bitter nectar. And I don't, I don't think it's going to work for him. And I don't, I don't think Twitter is going to stop being there. But I don't think he ever understood what he was buying. I think he thought he was buying a software company and he was buying influence in a community. Mm, like that's true, probably right the true value of twitter is not the software code it's the people who hang out there yeah that's true yeah um okay so who wants to do what how we want to divide this up so i will do broken canada and i will probably do i'll find a way to put in made in guns and i think i in my head it's still nascent but i think i know how to do that okay and then i will do Mary Ing and yeah. i'll do twitter yeah, I think your angle uh, is the only original angle on Mary Ng I've heard. 
Because I think, does anyone give a shit that another no. liberal cabinet minister did a bad? No. Even it's not they, even it's not even really that big big a bad. It's a minor bad. Yeah. It's a low level bad. I think it's you know what I think it's a bad. I think it is a genuine bad. But I think it's a bad that all of us are just beyond caring about. Like thank God we have an ethics commissioner. Yes, it's been so effective at keeping the government to account. They'll stop doing unethical things any day now. Um, pu- uh, publish this Friday and publish the written dispatch on Saturday. I'm gonna have to because I still gotta write a column. Really? Yeah, it's been a day. All right, I think we're losing listeners and subscribers yep. Yep. rapidly. Yep. Yep. Okay. All right. All right. Uh, thanks, everybody. Bye bye. Well, thanks for listening, guys. It got a little silly nearer the end there, but we hope you enjoyed it. Just a reminder. We will do one more dispatch. We have two more weeks of coverage coming your way, the nice list and the naughty list, and then we're taking a holiday. For now, enjoy your weekend. Take good care. For Jen Gerson, this is Matt Gurney, and this has been the latest episode of the Lions Experimental Podcast.